If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to um, Genesis this morning. This verse is going to look a little familiar because it's a verse that I shared last week. And um, this morning as we break down this verse, I want to go three different ways. So turn to your neighbor and say three different ways. Three different ways. Genesis 4, verse 6. It says, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? Will you be accepted if you do what is right? But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and he killed him. And he killed him. So this morning as we break down this story, these few short verses, kind of I know it's kind of an odd few verses this morning in a few different ways. I want you to think about the word and the term, a way out. A way out. The longest known person who's been stuck in an elevator 41 hours. How would you like to be stuck in an elevator for 41 hours? Not so much, right? They had the guy on camera who was stuck in there for 41 hours, and after a few hours, he got a little antsy. Just imagine for a minute, that's, that's like not quite two days, but almost two days, right? Sitting by yourself, no cell phone reception, stuck 41 hours, wishing, hoping that maybe there would be a way out. Longest traffic jam that's been talked about, seven hours. How about sitting in your car? Now, at least in your car, hopefully you have enough gas, right? But sitting in a traffic jam for seven hours. I really don't like driving. And one of the reasons I don't like driving, I really strongly dislike traffic. Traffic to me, after a while, I just don't like to sit. If I'm going somewhere and I'm in the car, it's because I want to go somewhere, right? It's not because I want to just be stopped. Seven-hour traffic jam. Sit in your car. Now, that's better than 41 hours in an elevator, right? But still, how many of us in seven hours of traffic would be wishing, hoping, praying to get out of that? Last one. Here's last group. 33 of San Jose. This is in Chile. I don't know if you remember in 2010 where these people were stuck for 69 days. 69 days in Chile. Trapped 688 meters below the surface that they're in a gold mine that collapsed. 69 days. Now, that, that is a feeling of being stuck. And when you're stuck in an elevator, stuck in traffic, or stuck under a gold mine underground, there's, there's one thing you're thinking of. Man, I hope there's a way out. I hope there's a way out. God in this story, in the verses that I started with this morning, he provided a way out to Cain. Cain and his brother Abel offered a sacrifice to God. We know that Abel, and his name means short, like a breath, he lived a short life. All this man, this poor man in this story did was make a sacrifice to God, and his brother killed him for it. As, as they both make a sacrifice, Cain and Abel, Cain decided, I'm just going to give God, I'm just going to give him a little bit. I'm just going to give him what I feel like giving today. I'm just going to give him, I'm just going to give him this part over here. I'm going to save this best stuff over me. But his brother Abel gave his very, very best to God. Gave his very, very best. God comes to Cain and he says, listen, if you do what's right, I'm going to accept you. 
But if you don't do what's right, I'm not going to accept you. And in this moment, and then this one line, God gives Cain a second chance. Turn to your neighbor and say, thank God for second chances. This is, think about it, this is one of the greatest gifts that God gives to mankind is second chances. God is a God who gives second chances. He gave Cain a second chance in this story, just like he gives us a second chance every single day. How many of us live days and weeks sometimes so busy at work, so busy at home, so busy getting ready for school that we sometimes barely give God any time? God is a jealous God, right? It says he's a consuming fire. He wants your time. He wants to be with you. He wants to be close to you. And just as he gave Cain a second chance, he gives us a second chance every single day to try and give him our very, very best. And what it honestly to me is one of the greatest gifts that God gives is that he is a God and a giver of second chances. And more than that, God's a giver of a way out. To be stuck in an elevator, to be stuck in traffic, to be stuck under underground, your hope would be for a way out. Every single day, God wants you to know that he provides for you a way out. And there's a way out of traffic. And there's a way out of the elevator. And there's a way out of being stuck underground. And more than that, more personal for us every single day, how many of us sometimes have bad days? How many of us have bad moments? And every single bad moment, every single mistake, every, you know, fits of rage and anger and this, that, and the other, God always, before the moment, will provide a way out for you. God is the provider of the way out. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says this. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Temptations in life are no different than what others experience. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. God is a God, a provider of the way out. He provides the way out of temptation. God provides the way out of mistakes. You know, there's certain mistakes that we make that don't cost so much. But then other times in life, there's mistakes that we make and they cost everything. We as people, we as believers, we as men and women should embrace this is the, one of the greatest gifts that God gives is he provides your way out. He provides so that you don't have to make the mistake. He provides so that you don't need to give in to temptation. And the problem is... This all sounds good, right? It all sounds good. But sometimes when we're like, if we're feeling like Cain, Cain was so consumed with his anger that as God gave him the way out, as God gave him a second chance, you know what? At that point, he didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to hear it. How many of you have ever talked with a friend and you're angry and you're frustrated and you're mad at somebody? Have you ever been at the point where they're trying to talk you down and it's okay and it's calmed down, everything's going to be all right? By that, by that point, you're already mad. You're already upset. You want to go punch, you know, somebody in the face. You want to punch a hole in the wall, right? For Cain, his anger was so strong and so out of control that he did not take God's way out. James 1.12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God's not, God is tempting me. God doesn't tempt us. 
God is never tempted to do wrong, never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. In not choosing God's way out, what's the alternative? Death. What happened in the story that I read this morning? Death. A brother decided to take his own brother's life and killed him and murdered him. Why? Because he did not want to hear God's way out. God every single day in our walk, in our jobs, in our lives, in our friendships, understanding he provides a way out for you, but at the same time, be a preacher of the God does provide a way out. Every friend that you have, every person you come in contact to, one of God's greatest gifts is God is your way out. He's that way out of the accident. He is the way out of getting sick and dying. God will provide for you every single thing that you need because he provides the way out. And then secondly this morning, what I love about this story is talking about some things that are unsaid. But before I get to the things that are unsaid, I do want to talk about things that do get said out loud. And I wonder in this story, because I wonder when I'm reading the Bible a lot, that I wonder what Adam and Eve said to their boys when they were kicked out of the garden. I wonder, have you ever heard that saying, do you remember the good old days? Do, do any of us remember saying, have we ever said that in our life? Do you remember the good old days? Do you remember that back then? Do you remember 10 years do you remember five years? I wonder, and this is a little awkward, but I wonder if Adam and Eve were like, hey, you remember we used to run around naked in the garden? I wonder if they just used to say things out loud, just crazy. They used to be able to ride dinosaurs and they used to, you know, go here and do this, right? And I wonder how many times after being kicked out of the garden did they say out loud, do you remember the good days. You know, before, when they were in the garden, Adam didn't have to work as hard. That's a blessing, right? You know, back in the old days in the garden, before Eve, before she did get pregnant, if she was to give birth in the garden, there wouldn't have been no pain. That would have been a blessing as well, right? How many ladies would love to give birth with no pain? I wonder how many of us as adults, how many of us as parents, how many of us as couples, say that very thing. Do you remember the good old days? But do we not understand, and, and I don't think we realize that when we're saying that, we're neglecting the present moment that we live in. Sometimes when we say, do you remember the good old times? Do you remember this? Do you remember that? What we do is we're actually elevating the past above the present. When we talk about the good old days over and over and over again, do you remember being 15 in high school and life was the best and life was this? Do you remember being in college and this is so amazing, this and this and this and this? When we recount the old times, the old days over and over and over and over again, what we do without realizing is we're elevating our past and we're neglecting the present, which brings a cloud over the future. God created us as people to not dwell on the past. He's made us as people to forgive the past, to be able to enjoy the present. God has made us as people to make the most out of every single opportunity that we have and we live. Colossians 4, 5 says, live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you have the right response for everyone. 
Ephesians 5.15, be careful how you live. Don't live like a fool, but live like those who are wise. Make the most out of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't act without thought. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. And if we were to take a step back this morning, could we say that we maximize every moment that we live or do we let a lot of moments pass by? There's how many hours in a day? How many seconds that go by in a day? And I know we all sleep, right? Some of us get to sleep six hours, seven hours, eight hours, which is all important. Get the most sleep that you can. But for the hours that we are awake, do you honestly say to yourself, I maximize every single opportunity, every single moment? Living with thought, living careful as Paul lays down in these two verses. This is how God created us to live. When we're not making the most out of every opportunity. And a lot of times you look at it, it's, it's, it comes down to attitude. We don't realize sometimes the attitude that we have portrays a very loud message. We don't understand sometimes the things that we think and feel are, are portraying something that's bigger and louder. So for Adam and Eve in this story, I do think that they said some things. Remember the good old days? Remember this, remember this, remember this. And I think it created some feelings inside of Cain. And that's why Cain became a murderer. And I also think that there were some things that were unsaid from mom and dad as well. And sometimes it's the things that go unsaid which are more powerful than even the things that are said. Do you know that with our attitude that we don't have to speak, that with our attitude, with the way that we walk around, when I'm grumpy, my family knows I'm grumpy, right? When I'm frustrated, my family know, thank you, Josh, for agreeing with me wholeheartedly. When, my, when I'm frustrated, they know I'm frustrated. I don't have to speak. I don't have to say anything, right? They know that I'm frustrated. And sometimes it's the things that I don't say that speak louder than if I did say. Do you, are you careful? Are you careful in the things that you don't say? Because I think that in this story, Cain became the man that he became because some of the things that his parents didn't say. I think that they did recount the past, and I think they talked about a lot of things, and I think that they, they said so many things that, yes, Cain absorbed that, being, being the man that he was. But I also know that as parents, sometimes we don't realize that when we're angry inside, when we're frustrated inside, that when we're mad inside, that when we're depressed inside, when we're lonely inside, when we're not talking, when we have things going on, the story that you're speaking to your family, to your kids is louder than anything else. It's the things that go unsaid. And I think for, for Cain in this story, I feel bad for the man because I do think that his parents were or maybe partly a bad example. Because I don't think anyone just grows up and becomes a murderer. I don't think anyone grows up and just decides I'm going to kill my, my brother. Right? I don't think so. I don't think you're just born with different genes. You know, I don't think you were born with Levi's instead of, you know, other genes, Hollister genes, right? I don't think it's the genes that you're born with. I think that it's choices that you make, it's circumstances that you're surrounded with. And I honestly do believe with all my heart that parents play such a big, big role in the way that kids turn out. And it's the things that we say, but it's also the things that we don't say. We have to watch our attitudes as adults. Everywhere that we go and everything that we do, because sometimes the story that is being written out 
when you're not speaking, it, what translates into your kid's heart, it, it hurts. And when you hurt, they know that you're hurt, and it hurts them, right? The things that go unsaid. The most powerful person in the world. You know, every year there's a contest, the world's strongest man contest. I don't know if you ever watch these guys. It looks like taking, you know, me and Joel and Aaron and my dad and Sam and putting us all into one body. These guys are so big, beefy, and bulgy. It's disgusting. Some of these guys deadlift 1,100 pounds. Some of these guys deadlift... 1,100 pounds. They pull cars. They pull airplanes. Some of these guys power lift 975 pounds. Now, they do take steroids. I was reading that most of the guys in this contest, the most uh, powerful men in the world, says that they supposedly have to take steroids to compete in this competition because of how, you know, rigid it is. But these men have given their bodies because it's doing damage to their bodies to become the strongest man in the world. Lifting hundreds, hundreds, thousand pounds, right? Most of us would, wouldn't mind that as our bodyguard. But no matter how strong people are and no matter how strong we think we are in our mind, that's not the most powerful thing in the world. You know, muscle is not the most powerful thing in the world. You know, you think about cars. How many of us have a need for speed and we love to drive fast? How, how many of us would admit that we get in that car and, and punching the gas, it is such a pleasurable feeling when you're passing somebody, you're going down the road, you're passing. See, Joel's, he must have a need for speed back there. He's, it is it's kind of fun, right? Now, see, I said I didn't like driving because when you sit in traffic, but when you do get a drive and you're moving fast and you're passing people, it's kind of fun. That part is fun. Right? How many of us love good, strong vehicles, Corvettes, right? Lamborghini, wouldn't that be fun? Or Durango, that's fun too. There's, there's really strong, powerful people in the world. You think of people who, who are political leaders, people who run the government, right? People who are rulers and authorities of their countries. And you think that they have power, and they do. And we think of cars for a second, and, and there's a lot of powerful cars. And most of us would love to drive some of the most powerful car. But to think of the word power for a second is a word that the devil uses to destroy us as people. When we want to do wrong, Satan feeds us that it's okay to do wrong. When we want to do something that's not right, he tells us, you're the boss. You're strong. No one can tell you what to do. No one is your boss. The devil is so good at lying to us to make us feel that we're more important, more bigger, more stronger than what we really are. You are self-employed. You are the man. You are the woman. You are strong. You are powerful. No one can take you down. No one can take you down. The problem is that's all great if there was no God, but there is a God. And we see in this story Cain, who thought he was so tough and so mean and so rough, he takes his brother's life and he murders him. And in that moment, he felt like he was the most powerful person in the world until he gets punished. He thought that he was the most powerful man, that he could take another person's life. Sometimes that's how we feel with our words. 
Sometimes we feel that we are so powerful for, in our words that we're going to murder somebody. We're going to chop somebody down with our words. I'm angry. I'm frustrated right now. And I'm going to take it out on you. I feel important. And I'm going to make you feel unimportant by the words that I'm going to speak right this second. Sometimes as people, we don't admit it. But sometimes power and the feeling important and feeling the boss becomes too big. Cain in this story, he did something that he shouldn't have done. And for a moment he thought that he was really strong and powerful. We have to be careful or every single day living who and what we let influence us. You know, there's a story of a king, Daniel 429. There was a king who... He was walking on the roof one day, and he looked across the city, and he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass. You live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone that he chooses. What does the devil seek to do? He seeks to make you feel powerful, strong. What did he do in the story with Cain? He made him feel powerful and strong that he could do something wrong. What did the devil do with King Nebuchadnezzar? He was king. He had all the power. But in this power, he started thinking, I am better than everyone and everything that I have. It is only for me. This is only for me. What a tragedy. You look at King Nebuchadnezzar where this powerful king was turned into a wild animal and had to eat grass for seven years, right? Here's a king driven to become an animal crawling around on his, on his floor with his feet in his arms like a little dog, eating grass, nails growing out, hair growing out. Looks like some of the rock bands out there. But this man was humbled because he did it and he was doing and he thought that he was the most powerful person. Be careful how the devil influences you. He every day is seeking to destroy you and take you out. No matter what we do, no matter how powerful we are, that's not the most powerful thing in the world. These men who lift 1,100 pounds, that's strong, but they're still not the most powerful person or thing in the world. In Luke, we know and one of the most popular stories, Luke 15, 20, there's a story of the prodigal son. And as he was on his way home, while he still was a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He embraced him. He kissed him. He said to his son, Father, I've sinned. He said to his dad, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. Sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate the feast. The son of mine was dead. And now he returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And the party began. And I want to paint the picture of the most powerful thing in the world. God in this story, the prodigal son, and I didn't read the whole story, but God in this story paints himself as a father who is a Jewish man, an older Jewish man, a father. They don't run. But yet when he sees his son, he runs to his son. That's something that is humbling for a Jewish man. That's something that is undignified. It's just not right. And here Jesus paints himself, paints the heavenly father as he will go at great lengths. He will go to extreme lengths so that he can do one thing. So that he can show you how much he loves you. God 
loves you. He's willing to be undignified. He's willing to be humbled. He's willing to die on a cross. God, our heavenly father, he doesn't talk about love. He demonstrates love. Our heavenly father, he doesn't say, I love you, I love you, I love you, and then turn back and run away. Our heavenly father says, I love you, and I'm going to demonstrate my love because I'm going to fully give myself. I'm going to give everything. I'm going to give everything that I have. The most powerful thing in the world, it's not strong men. It's not strong cars. It's not people who take other people's lives. It's not somebody who thinks they're really cool with a gun. The most powerful thing in the world is our Heavenly Father's love. God's love is the most powerful thing. It is the most powerful weapon. God's love today is the most powerful weapon. The world that is consumed and has so much hate, what is it desperate for? It's desperate for God's love. My very first point in my message this morning is that God provides a way out. God gives second chances. Why does he do that? Because he's a God of love. He's so filled with power. God is so filled. If God created the heavens and the earth, God created the oceans and the stars and the sun, and God is the creator. We're not here by just some chance. We're not here because planets collided. We're not here because we came from slime. We're not here because we came from monkeys. I don't know about you, but they're not my relatives. Right? I hope they're not your relatives either. God created us. God created people. God created matter and time and space. Everything. All he had to do was speak it into existence and poof, it was here. God who has all the power, all the control in the world. And what does he do with his power? What does God do with his power? Is he demonstrates his love. The most powerful thing in the world is love. The most powerful thing in the world is how you choose to love. The most powerful thing that you can do every single day is how you choose to love. Do you love selfishly, only trying to, what, what can I get? I will give a little love, but only so that I can receive back. That is not real love at all. That is not God's kind of love. That is not the most powerful love in the world. The most powerful kind of love in the world is God's love, which is sacrificial, which is giving, which says, I'm not just going to tell you I love you. I'm going to demonstrate and I'm going to give myself to you to show you how much I love you. I'm going to wrap up this morning with this verse, one of the greatest verses on love, 1 Corinthians 13.1. Daniel, if you want to make your way back up. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, if I could speak all the language of the earth and angels, but didn't love, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans, which would be awesome, and possess all the knowledge, if I had such faith that I can move the mountains, but if I didn't love other people, I would be nothing at all. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained Nothing. And then Paul goes on to describe love. Love is patient and love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. Love is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives 
up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless one day, but love will last forever. Love is the most powerful thing in the entire world. God is a God of second chances. God is the God who makes a way out for us. God is the one who accepts us every single day, no matter who we are and what we've done. God doesn't tell you he loves you. God demonstrates that he loves you every single day. Stand with us. We're going to close in a song. God's love is firm and it's secure. God's love is overwhelming. It's so sacrificial. God's love is always right, even when we don't want to hear it. What is the greatest thing that you can do with God's love is you can show it to somebody else. How do you show, how do you show God, our Father, that you're understanding his love? God says it's by how you love everyone else. How you love the people you pass on the street. How you love the people who curse you. How you choose to treat those who are mean to you. How you treat your boss who's a loser, right? How do you continue to treat people every single day, no matter how or what they say to you? The most powerful thing that you can do today, the rest of your life, the most powerful weapon in the world is God's love. The choice is what do you do with God's love? Let's pray.